that's why I'm doing this. Because mistakes can happen. I mean, we're all human. And in medicine, mistakes do happen. I feel like teaching medical practitioners wellness, mindfulness, meditation is like an absolute necessity. Welcome to Highly Meditated, episode 16. I'm super pumped about this week's episode, and it's actually on a topic that's been requested a few times. I'm joined by Allie McLean, who is a CRNA at Boston Children's Hospital. And Allie is actually unintuitive. She's in my psychic training class as well, and that's how I got connected with her. So she's an intuitive, a CRNA, a yoga instructor, a Reiki master, a meditation instructor at her hospital as part of a Harvard University study. And as you will hear, she is very passionate about holistic living and the benefits that it can bring into the systems that we have that already exist. Allie has the biggest heart. You can just hear in her voice how much she loves her patients. And she's also like just one of those people that when you meet her, you feel so seen and you feel heard. And she's got this this light within her. And I think, you know, she shines so much hope in the you'll see her message is a really positive one, I think. And it's not about like calling out all the bad parts of conventional medicine, but more so how can we fix this? Like, how can we improve this? How can we make this better for patients? How can we make this better for staff? So I think her message is a positive one. It's an important one. And it's something that I personally was really interested in. And I think you guys will be too. As always, if you've been enjoying the podcast, the best way to support it in an impactful way is to leave a five-star rating on the iTunes app. Or if you feel called, write a review. And without further ado, let's get into the episode. Okay, welcome to the show, Allie. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Of course. We are in Brie Melanson's psychic boot camp class together, and that's kind of like how I found you, I guess. I was reaching out to that group to see if there was anybody that was like incorporating their intuitive abilities into conventional medicine. And then your response to that post, just I was so excited (laughs) just because it's like the perfect you do so much that could be considered like alternative or functional medicine. And then you just like incorporate it into your day job, which is CRNA, right? Yes, yes. And and when you posted it, I was super excited because, you know, being and working with Brie as well, I've never thought there could be this connection. And that's over the past years that I've been working with Bray and the group and understanding like intuition and how we can blend it into medicine. Like just hearing you say that I was like, yes, like it's (laughs) happening. (laughs) Yeah, it's possible. So it was really cool. It's cool that you're, you're opening that and and interested and wanting to hear what I do. Can you actually tell us before we get too far into it, what a CRNA is? Yes. Um, And then you just think about your medical background. Yeah, so um, CRNA stands for Certified Registered Nurse Anesthetist, and who we are are trained nurses in anesthesia. So my background is I have a bachelor's degree in nursing, so went um, to college and have my nursing degree. And then to become a CRNA, you have to have critical care nursing experience before you go into your advanced practice nursing And so I actually worked in uh, the cardiac ICU at Boston Children's for um, six years before applying to anesthesia school. 
So you have some ground of, of experience before you get into the advanced degree. And then it's a master's degree that I have. And currently, I think they're starting in 2022, that all uh, nurse anesthesia programs uh, will be required that they get their doctorate at the end. So it's just lengthening the program. So it's called a doctorate of nursing practice. And those programs are about three years long for post um, undergrad. So that's how we become a CRNA. And within schooling, um, it's a lot of didactic and, and clinical work. And when you get out, you'll be do you practice what I do. So I work alongside anesthesiologists in Massachusetts. It's called the care team model. And so at Children's, we do um, two, usually about two CRNAs to one physician, and the CRNAs stay in the room during the operation. So we start in pre-op, meet, meet our patients and go on with the plan and then stay with our patients while they're under anesthesia right till the end and go to the recovery room. So, you know, my why, should I get into that already? <laughs> yeah. Well, or, I mean, it's kind of crazy how intensive it sounds like the background that you have to follow before you even decide to be a CRNA. Yeah. No, absolutely. So, and and I think I knew pretty early on that this is where I wanted to go, but I wasn't 100% sure. And it's funny, you look back at me and, and I think I didn't really know what intuition was, but I, I've always been listening to it. Yeah. <laughs> and I love the nursing part of it. The story of like how it all came about is I actually grew up on a horse farm. So riding horses. Oh, cool. Yeah. And that was my life. I started when I was about nine and I was a barn girl. I got up at six o'clock and helped, you know, work in the stalls, cleaning stalls and riding the horses. And I really wanted to like do that the rest of my life. When I was 15, I was in a lesson and we crashed a fence and the horse fell on her nose and I fell off like sitting and she flipped over and I got smushed and broke my back. So yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. So, you know, that story in itself was pretty traumatic for me. A lot of things of how I kind of followed the rest of my life is based on this experience, which I feel like a lot of us have these moments where <laughs> defining moments in our lives. And I didn't have feeling in my legs. It was pretty traumatizing. But it was based on that experience that I really understood medicine. I have no one in my family in medicine and no one in nursing, well, now my, one of my um, family members, um, she's a nurse as well, but no one, in, you know, growing up, I didn't know anything about medicine, but it was in the hospital, all those experiences. I just remember thinking, I'll never let this happen to anyone. I felt like no one listened to me. I felt like nobody was hearing anything I was saying as a 15 year old, you know, our 15 year old patients can have some angst and, and upsets. And I love that age group. And I think that is how I became this listener like a lot of when I'm speaking on these retreats and they say what's your superpower and I'm, it's my listening I love listening to people because I know what a gift it is yeah <laughs> I wasn't heard so again it just kept me thinking well I'm never gonna let this happen I'm gonna become a nurse so I became a nurse and I got fixated on while I was under anesthesia having surgery I have two rods screws and pins in my back now and I'm like, how did all that happen how did I just go to sleep, wake up. And it was all done when it was eight hours, I was in surgery. So tell me more yeah. about that. 
the interest in consciousness. Like, where do you go when you're under anesthesia? Like, it all just started to pop up, but I didn't know what I know now. So I just followed it, went into nursing, and then they have this position as a nurse anesthetist. So I just kept asking questions and filling it in when there is this position. I could be with someone while they're under anesthesia and maintaining their life and world and their, where's their consciousness? I get to be there. (laughs) So that's how I found this job. Just kept listening. So I kind of, I see both sides of who I am and I like to show up for my, for the other medical practitioners I work with because I see the stress and what it can do to care. And, you know, that's that whole heal the healers and and who's there for them because they have to show up for us as patients. And you know when someone's not listening to you. (laughs) I mean, that's what I felt when I was 15. So it was this, like, how can I get people to show up for themselves and therefore show up for their patients? And then Mm -hmm. on the flip side, which is how my alternative modalities came in of how can I show up for my patients and, and empower them in their most vulnerable state where you're mm-hmm. in this little Johnny going to having a, you know, an operation and scared and we have a lot of anxiety, a lot of worries. So can I offer other things besides medications, which I do, I can give anti-anxiety meds, but I also offer a lot in my toolbox and I, and I do teaching with patients. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about that. Yeah. Because <laughs> you do so much more than, than just DRNA. Like yeah. that's just like one small part of your, your title or, um, what you offer. So that really comes into sort of, I've been practicing anesthesia. It's been, um, I'm coming on my 12th year that I've been a CRNA and when did I blend all of this? It was the, there was an event again in my anesthesia career in my life that a very close friend of mine died of breast cancer. And I was with her through a lot of her medical stuff that she was going through. And I saw what it was doing to her when people would make comments and they would say, well, you have four weeks and very bluntly say that. And they got really messy as far as like medicine, spirituality, life, (laughs) like questions were coming up when I was with her and she was having these big questions, right? Like she was given four weeks to live and I just got to listen and be with her, but also witness medicine from the side that, um, of not healing. Like it didn't, it just felt like, where's this coming from? So I did get interested in energy medicine and how can I help Alexa through her dying phase? Mm -hmm. And I got interested in energy, uh, medicine Reiki. So that's where my Reiki training started. So this was about four years ago. Reiki in hospitals is getting a bigger, is being more open now, where years ago it wasn't. And what Reiki is, is a Japanese healing technique, so hands-on healing. And it made its way to the West years ago. And most recently into hospitals, um, a woman called Libby Barnett, she has been kind of like this in bringing it into hospitals and making more accessible and really it's just super relaxing have you ever had reiki yeah i do reiki oh yeah you are you're reiki that's right (laughs) it is Um, among other things (laughs) yes you don't need that you know this but i guess when i got it and then i could help others and just relax it was incredible 
And it was taken away from the hospital for a while, but now again, it's making its way back in. They're doing research, you know, the within hospitals and there's like the Medical Reiki Research Association or something. Yep. But that's been really cool to follow to say like what it's doing for people and how I use it. So I bring it up with my patients. And again, this is my intuitive hit of like each patient I get to talk to it's a parent and a child because I work in pediatrics. So it's like the space. So I walk up and I can feel like intuitively, is this a family that's going to be open to it? And I offer and I do it within my talk. So it's just, I have to have all these questions I have to ask medically to go under anesthesia. And mm-hmm. I bring it up and I say, I also am a yoga instructor and I do energy medicine. Would you be open to Reiki while under anesthesia? And they love it. Everyone who like I brought it up lights up. It's almost like this, like they want that they're scared to bring it up in a hospital because it's that medicine and like sort of spirituality world blending that I think people are wanting this and then they sort of relax. Right. It's this like, and it's, yeah. And it's this thing where like when your child is going under and you're in a hospital, it feels so like cold and risky And then you can offer something like Reiki where even if you're not aware of like how effective it is or really what it is, you just know that it's like a safe and calming form of energy healing for you, which is like, it's very, I don't know, it contrasts with what everything else (laughs) that happens in the hospitals is. So (laughs) yeah, I think that's that piece of, I remember what it felt like to be a patient and it was, like you said, it's cold, it's, it's scary and there's this unknown and you almost disconnect from your own intuition. So I really, I love to bring that back and empower people. And I think that's where I also blend in my yoga breathing, bring pranayama into my patients. They have anxiety with IV insertions. That's usually like the big one. They're scared. And physiologically, our breath can calm us down. It can decrease your heart rate. It just can chill the whole situation out. So I do a three-part breath, teach them that, and say, you have this to take with you because I don't like to just, like, fix, make better, but not, you know, and then they're like, well, I need you for it next time. I'm going to need you to help me with my IV or my blood draw next time. I'm like, you don't need me. Mm -hmm. Again, we all have this within us, right? We have our own healing, our own intuition to check in. And so I like to give them tools that they can take with them so that they don't require someone to be there. They can do it themselves. Well, I've learned this breath technique. I'm going to do it now. Or even put your hands on, right? Like they can just put their hands on their body. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of my who I am too within in the hospital setting is empowering people to, to manage what they can by themselves. And if not, I was always like, I know the meds. I know the drugs. I will give you anesthesia. It's not... You know, I'm not going to not <laughs> give you anything, but I, I know that there are other ways that we can cope with the stress and worry and anxiety. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. That's awesome. I know you said everybody's been taking to it very well so far. Yeah. Do you, what blocks do you think are still there though? Um, I still think that people want the science. They want to see data. They want to see it. How are you testing it? Um, I know from my practitioners, I get still some eye eye rolls of people that know what I'm about. From the patient side, 
I, I don't have too many blocks. Like I don't feel that there's too many. I think they're quite open, even if you call it hands-on healing. So mm-hmm. there's that worry that it's still that woo-woo world, like which, but I still, I feel like now people are so much more open, so much more open to anything. Mm-hmm. And I think, so actually there was a recent study for the NIH and it's in the journal of um, alternative complementary medicine. I, I liked this one because I feel like physicians are getting it. More than half of U.S. office-based physicians recommended complementary like modalities, massage, Reiki, chiropractor, yoga, acupuncture, like alternative modalities mm-hmm. to their healing. And that's yeah. huge. That's awesome. <laughs> and that's a mainstream medicine. So I think the, the blocks have been primarily within the institutions themselves. Right. It doesn't have as much literature to say, like, look at it. It's working. Mm-hmm. And even like, it's coming though. This, the studies are out there. They're coming to say it's, it's super relaxing. Mm-hmm. It, and to me, there's no negatives. No, not at all. <laughs> I've, well, used it, I've used it, you know, I do, you know, can do pre-op, intra-op and then post-op. I've been called to, to a couple of my patients that have had really bad nausea, vomiting and with bad pain that they couldn't control. And they actually ended up falling asleep. Both the patients that I've done in re- and recovering have, had fallen asleep. So it was really, yeah. And like the parents are in the room and it's just really nice to see and to yeah. like, just have that it's there. And it's another way to help, you know, people feel good and, and that's it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So another thing that's super cool that you're doing right now is you're teaching staff in the hospital meditation, right? Yes. Yeah. So what does that look like? It's part of a Harvard <laughs> study, right? Yeah. So Dr. Lin, so he's, Wan Chi Lin is one of my colleagues. So he's one of our anesthesiologists. He's an associate professor um, of anesthesia within, you know, and they're affiliated with Harvard. And he he's always known that I've been interested in meditation. I've had a pretty strong meditation practice and he has been working on getting IRB funding for his study. And we started it in September and it was originally designed as eight week. And we completed that and we're starting another eight week program. So uh, 6.15 on Thursday mornings, we have a group and they show up every week and it's incredible. We've never meditated before and they're physicians nurses, um, we have surgical techs, CRNAs, and they all come together. And each day, uh, it's myself and um, one of the other anesthesiologists we swap each week teaching. And just basic, we do an intro, we show them, teach them all different types of meditation to take on, breath, we talk about sound, we talk about um, utilizing in the operating room. What does that look really? like? And that's been the probably the coolest part for me teaching is seeing it live happening. Uh, one of the nurses who has been um, coming a lot, she and I were in a room together because, you know, I'll teach and then I go and I have my rooms for the day in the operating room. And there was something you know, in the operating room, there can be some scary things that can happen, bleeding in a certain case. And we needed to get things in the room quickly and we needed to have people communicating and it can get extremely chaotic. And a lot of when I teach, and I teach students as well, student nurse anesthetists, and this is a lot of the stuff that I talk about is mindful moment, take a breath. It could be seconds, check in versus that fight or flight. 
Mm-hmm. We get that trigger that, oh my God, we're bleeding. We need to get blood immediately. We can still take a couple seconds to pause. And she looked right at me and I said, this is, we're going to practice in the moment, take a breath. And you could see this blanket of calm through a chaos room of a lot of people now coming in the room, uh, making phone calls. She, she, we all just, you know, between the two of us, because we've been doing the practice together, we could take that breath, take that leadership, control this room and make sure everybody was listening, but not with that fear, you know, and within your voice, it was calm. And we got mm-hmm. what we needed to get done. The child was safe. Everything, the outcome was, was perfect. But I've been in rooms like that where the chaos just ensues and it's scary. So mm-hmm. I think watching this real time in the operating room, was magic. And I was crying the next time I taught because I did talk to them, the group about my experience with it, because that's why I'm doing this. Because mistakes can happen. I mean, we're all human. And in medicine, mistakes do happen. I feel like teaching medical practitioners wellness, mindfulness, meditation is like an absolute necessity. And because when the craziness ensues, you can touch back in with yourself again. It's only a second. It's not like it's taking minutes to do this. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> it's just this like check-in of like, oh my gosh, something's happening. I feel my fear, whatever, you know, your technique for mindfulness and, and awareness. It's like, okay, I feel it, but I'm not going to go with that. I'm going to stay grounded. What do I need to do in this moment? Make mm-hmm. the calls, get help, you know, all of that. So we're going to keep going with this and just keep showing up and people are showing up and sharing their experiences. And I get to watch it happen within the, within the hospital. So I love it. I really love it. I never, I didn't think I would get so lit up by something. Um, but teaching meditation in the hospital has been one of my big highlights this year, even was there on my birthday. And I'm like, okay, I'm such like an emotional I just get all worked up and I was like, this is the way I'd want to be on my birthday. You know, it was like, I want to be here with you guys. Like, this is an incredible birthday. Way to start my birthday. (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah. This might be a little bit of a difficult question, but like, what do you think the future looks like in hospitals Mm -hmm. that, that are, you know, following this forward looking path of incorporating alternative with conventional? I would love what I would love to see and what I do actually feel from places that will take this on is a connection with physician and, you know, medical practitioner, nursing and their patients. Mm -hmm. Meaning it's going to be blended where we need science. I think I, I love both worlds. We need surgeries. We need medicine. I I do think there's a place for it, but I also think there's a place to empower patients and people with their own healing as well. Mm -hmm. And, and I think it's a, a connection with your practitioner that needs to be there where they're listening and you're able to speak for yourself and be heard. I think Mm -hmm. there's still a rift between like, they're so busy. They're so busy even what I felt as being a patient, right? Like even now people are late. They have only 10 minutes to be with you and it feels rushed and no one's listening. And, Mm -hmm. you know, so I hope 
in the future that people are, meaning medical practitioners doing the work, their own self-care, their wellness, as mm-hmm. well as patients. And then what does that look like? I think that's true healing. They can get better. And there's some cases, you know, that are so difficult and tricky that medicine can't help them. And those are really some of the hardest cases to say, well, what is going on? Because science has gone and tested everything, looked at everything. Now what? So I think we still need that balance of both worlds. And with that, I would be curious, as like a nurse and an intuitive, like how do you, what's your opinion on somebody's emotional and spiritual bodies and what they're experiencing and then how that manifests into the physical body? I totally believe it. I think we can manifest a whole lot. But the problem that I find is this, it can be traumatic to be like, I'm causing this. Yeah. Right. So I don't like to just say like, it's your fault that you have cancer or you wrote this in your life. Like that's why, you know, for some reason, like there's that tricky trauma part that gets a little, eh, I don't know. It just doesn't feel quite right. So I don't like to just put that on people to say it's, you've done this to yourself. Does that make sense? Right. Yeah. I would never either, but, but it's just that I feel like, like it's just denied. Yeah. Like nobody talks about the fact that what you're emotionally experiencing and going through can be causing what you're going through physically. Yeah. I I wholeheartedly believe that. And I think that's the way that I, because I've watched it, I watch it. And I used to get really fixated and upset and kind of drained because I'm a fixer. (laughs) Yeah. I see something, I want to help you. But that has hurt people in the, in the past for me, you know, where I have been pretty like insistent that my way is going to help them. So I've learned obviously over the past probably five-ish years to just listen. And that is the best space that I can give them. That is the gift to anyone. And then in my listening, maybe they can hear something within themselves to start their own process of healing. Mm-hmm. I mean, and then you kind of question, do you think, Everybody wants to have a healing. Like if they're experiencing something in their life, do they want to be different? Do they, you know, like maybe that's how they really want to live their life. I've worked through a lot of like that judgment of like, who am I to say that that's not okay? What they're experiencing. Right. And also just like the kind of people that are okay with taking medicine and not changing their diet for the rest of their life. Like that's fine. But I think, What's not fair, in my opinion, is just like the fact that we're not really taught the emotional causes of physical illness. Yeah. We're just not there in the Western world. I feel like we're getting there, though. Do you feel like I feel like there's more of a opening? It's much more open to it. Yeah, I totally agree. Like everybody has a therapist. and It's great. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Right. It is great. <laughs> Very open to all you ever once a month about my therapist. It's fantastic. So we've normalized a lot, which I think is yeah. positive. But there's a lot of, I mean, a lot of books I've read of like the power of your mind, right? Of what we can and cannot create. I mean, it's incredible. And like in medicine, I mean, I, if I go down that road, it's overwhelming. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> again, it goes back to my old way of like, I've got to help everybody. Well, they're going to die. <laughs> that's that's the weight I used to take on. Like they're suffering and it's my fault. You know, I would really get invested in everything you could possibly give to people. Yeah. But it's pushed people away where I've even lost friends, you know, because Ellie couldn't just 
pull back and listen. You know, I had to insert my opinions. And Well, and as physicians and nurses, you guys are exposed to like so much. And then as you, like as an intuitive, you take it on so much more directly and personally than other people. So like, what is it like for you being a psychic empath that works in a hospital? <laughs> it's extremely draining and I was very moody <laughs> until I figured out what was happening um, and understanding energy. So I, I don't like, you know, a lot of empaths take on other people's stuff. I don't get physical stuff from people. I can put, I put up boundaries, really strong boundaries when I'm, when I'm working with others. And a lot of it is awareness and observation versus getting really sucked into these stories. Like I could be reading someone's chart and I get super emotional reading because I'm so right. I'm, I'm in it. I'm like living their life. Pretty much I can visualize them by reading their chart. I'm like, I see these people. I notice when I'm doing that. So I can have the ability to pull back and say, you know, set your boundary. It's not yours. But I feel like it allows me to create and care for my patients, really connected with my heart. But my biggest one is meditation. If I'm not med if I'm not doing my own practice, I am whew, like I feel just the anxiety. You know, I have my own anxiety. So grounding in my own meditation in the mornings. If I'm following my routine, which again, the humanness is very much within me, it's I set my alarm because I love numbers for 4.44 a.m. <laughs> I love that. Yep. Now, if I maybe on a good week, it's three times a week that I'm able to do that. So that's yeah. sort of a lot of my work through trying to do it. But when I teach, I say five minutes. If you can connect for five minutes, it's just that calm your body, calm yourself. So meditation is my big one. Mm -hmm. um, and yoga, my own yoga practice. And then if I get out early, uh, I will do nature walks anytime I can go out yeah. and get out under the trees because that's where I get full. Yeah. I have two kids, so my kids are in five and seven. And <laughs> when I'm working all week, so I work 40 hours and I come home and it's like, Wah! Um, <laughs> yeah, I, if I get like 20 minutes on a walk, it makes a huge difference. So I just have set myself up for success in that aspect of regrounding. And then I call my energy back. That's a big one too. In the mornings, I do this call for my energy back and I'm a feeler. So I can, it just, you feel how, you know, if you give your heart to somebody, you're listening to somebody you're like, oh, there goes a little piece of your energy. So call it back. Yeah, I've never used that technique. But I think I need to start. <laughs> I love it. And it, it's when I started doing it, you, I feel it. Like I can just feel this like tingling and I'm like, come on back. And then you set up a boundary. Like, you know, yeah. I just try to have that. So just positive like energy, not sucking in anything that's not mine. That's yeah. On here. Yeah. Out of curiosity, do you know what your human design type is? I'm a generator. Are you? Cause like I was like, man, she does like so much. So maybe she's an MG or a generator, but I don't know. She's like, you seem you, like you could almost be a projector too. Yeah. 
Well, I think just learning that. And then now that I've been doing my listening to my absolute, uh uh-huh, yes, things are different. (laughs) So human design came to me, I think it was last year at a retreat. I had no idea. And I love it. (laughs) I do too. I wish I had more time to like really spend (laughs) We're a whole family of generators, all four of us. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Whoa. That's crazy. But I like actually, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. I don't know. I feel like I would be so exhausted to come into your home after a while. Well, I would be like <laughs> jittery if I was around four generators. I don't know. I hope not. <laughs> I don't, My husband's free, like, super chill, like super chill. But when given like something he's super passionate about, he can create. It's like, it's so cool. It's cool. That's awesome. I think that's, and that like is a perfect kind of opening to what happened last year oh was it two years ago i opened up on facebook there's like a crna uh big group on facebook um and i finally was like i just need people like me where are the people like me I was like, any <laughs> spiritual like <laughs> love tarot cards and crystals like you know like just where are my people and i posted in this group and i got a huge response there's probably like 600 people in the group now that i run it's called holistic crnas and it was scared the crap out of me because I'm like, I can't be a leader. <laughs> no, no, I can't do this. But I've been, you know, working through how I can show up for others. And I had asked because last year on Bree and Jacqueline's retreat, I was frustrated with the fact that there aren't retreats for people like me in medicine that can get continuing education credits. And like still have this like amazing transformation. So I had posted in my group asking, how do we do this? And one of the other CRNAs within my group reached out and said, I want to go live. I do all web stuff. I want to have live retreats. Can you help? And I was like, there's my, (laughs) of course. (laughs) (laughs) So it became these CRNA retreats that we've done. We did one in September with 25 women and we did one in October and just incredible. It was really like total synchronicity with there's three of us that facilitated and I mean it was magic. We did like and I got to do an intro to mindfulness. I got to teach yoga every day and I do lectures on burnout and resiliency and I teach um, pediatric anesthesia and anesthesia on autism. Those are kind that of big so ones. Cool. Yeah. And there's more coming. So, you know, I just kept saying yes, because it feels so yes. And there's two companies that I'm, I'm working with that are doing retreats right now. So next year is going to be full on. That's so cool. Yeah. Can I post the info for the retreat in the show notes? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. There's two different companies um, that I am going to be working with. So I can definitely give you the links to those. Cool. And there is it specifically for CRNAs or is it other people? So these two are just for CRNAs. Uh, one uh, group is women, and then another group uh, is working with all just any you know all CRNAs. You know a lot of wellness uh, within it, but there's continuing education credits offered. So I think that's a real pull because we all still can need continuing ed. And in in my opinion, again, this is. Some of these continuing ed conferences were a little boring. (laughs) (laughs) I get a lot of continuing ed at my hospital. I'm really lucky about that. So I'm constantly 
have lots of updated studies about current research and, and medications. But for me, the most important thing that, yeah, is wellness for our medical practitioners. Really, truly. I mean, that's me. I know it's different for a lot of other people, but I think when we are grounded, we are more connected with our patients. Mm-hmm. And it's the coolest part of my job is connecting on that level and making people feel really comfortable. And really, it's that grounding and pull myself out, like pull ego alley out because that does nothing. That that person tries to fix and heal and, and shift what doesn't work. But mm-hmm. when I'm standing open in love, they can be whoever they are, like whoever they are. I love people exactly as they are. Like it's just, I love it. And I love really anxious people or <laughs> I get called to take care of them. They're my favorites. Or like needlephobic. <laughs> I we had a girl who's totally needlephobic, covered in tattoos. And and for people to judge that, right? To say, well, how? I'm like, because it's different. And she's scared of needles. She's scared of a needle going in her arm. Like, can you just release, release and show up for people? Whatever's going on. Just yeah. be. <laughs> That's incredible. The medical field needs more people like you. It's coming. You know, I think I think people are getting it. Mm-hmm. And I try to share as much as I can in the OR too, because again, people know what I'm up to. So <laughs> maybe it's kind of jokingly sometimes, but I, I'm so grounded now in who I am to say like to the surgeon, okay, it's time you take a deep breath. And most of them are pretty like know me and they're like, okay, Allie. <laughs> yeah. Breath. You know, there's, it's stressful. It's super stressful what everyone's doing right now in the operating room. So, mm-hmm. So this is the last question I'm going to ask that I just sort of thought of, but what is healing to you? I've heard you mention before that there's not necessarily a lot of healing, actual healing that takes place in the hospital right now. Mm -hmm. So what do you, what's your definition of healing? I guess. I, I think healing is coming back to yourself, listening to your inner guidance Mm -hmm. and listening to yourself and your heart. I think that's to me true healing. And I think we've all, we get lost in the external fix, like something out there is going to help and fix. And, and, but I do think we all have what we need within us. And I think that goes down that intuitive path. And then listening to know what questions to ask, because I think we're all in this together, but that trust within yourself is, is healing to me. Mm-hmm. And I have to listen to that every day. I have to listen to those words <laughs> for myself. Mm-hmm. You know, I have a lot of moments where I'm like, what's wrong with me? Like, you know, I go down that road all the time. And I know when I come back to me that I'm okay and I'm not broken and nothing needs to be fixed. I think, again, why I love listening. And then I'll be like, are you listening to yourself, Miss Listener? I'm like, no. <laughs> Yeah. I, and I, the other part too, is I just think we all are so unique in what we have to offer the world. Mm-hmm. And so I guess look at that as a global, like world healing is listening, mm-hmm. and, you know, being that connected to source and love. Yeah. And we're getting there. Yeah. Like slowly, but it <laughs> feels like even since like 2015, I feel like just in the last four years, 
it's changed so much. Like there's so many more yoga studios just popping up on every corner and there's just this increase in consciousness like globally. And there's so many more people experiencing like, I don't know. It's just, it's a spiritual wake up for the entire world that's going on right now. And eventually it'll seep into like, you know, places that need it most like hospitals and stuff like that. But it's just, I don't know. And we're not quite there yet is how I feel, but we're getting there. I know. I agree. It's getting there. But the more that this is out and shared, you know, like the work that you're doing, it's amazing. Thanks. Yeah. You're connecting (laughs) with, you're connecting, you're sharing, and that's how people hear. And you have your own unique way of sharing and people hear. And it, it, that's how we each kind of plant seeds. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, And I think as people in the space too, it's just important to remind yourself that there's always room for more healers and for more people sharing stories and like planting these seeds because like I've had friends that work in the space say like, well, I don't want to just offer Reiki because everybody offers Reiki. And I'm like, there's so many people in this world who have no idea what Reiki is. And there's there's all of this room for us to grow in it, but we just need to like let it and remind ourselves to step into our power and like continue to plant the seeds. No, that's what totally. And and whenever that comes up, because it's come up even for me, right? I feel like all of us had that little conversation to say, well, why, you know, like how am I going to make a difference in this saturated or like we think it's saturated, which it's not. I think, Mm-mm. again, it goes back to that. We are so unique. There's not one single person out there like us. You know, like there's not anyone like you. There's no one like me. And you have something so unique to share. So just blossom, you know, share it. Even though, you know, and that that's, again, hearing me say these, it's things I have to listen to myself. It's so easy to go down that like path, but we are so unique and, and so incredibly gifted. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, even with my intuitive part, I see this in people. I see what they're capable of. And I just, if you can listen to, and that's why I'm like, I know if they start listening within themselves that they will continue to grow their gift and share it. So I think that's my, like, why I think that's healing. Incredible. (laughs) How can people connect with you? I am, I've taken a step back on social media this year, so I've been quite quiet, but I am on Instagram and Facebook. I'm working through my own boundaries with social media, so they can totally find me on Instagram. I think it's the easiest. It's Allie McLean. That's one of those things for me is boundaries and and kind of de-stressing. I've had to really work to cater my social media to what works for me, and it's not draining. I used to be very active, (laughs) very, very active. And this year has been a, what am I doing? Like for me, so I'm not as active, but I'm there. Got it. I will, I'll link your information and then I'll also make a note of the two companies that you do your retreat. Awesome. Yeah. Perfect. Anything else you want to share? No, I'm just so appreciative of you and connecting. Thank you. That's my big thank you.